Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome back to episode 75 of the Thread podcast. It's tonight's uh, lesson, tonight here at least, and that is from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. We're going to talk about understanding persecution and how to handle it. So if you don't have your Bible, please go get one. Come right back for Thread, a verse-by-verse Bible study for leaders. We'll be right back. Just to do a little recap, in uh, chapter 3, there was a great miracle done at this, on the steps of the temple as Peter and John were going into the temple and they saw this man who had been there on the steps all these years, begging 40 years he had been there. And a great miracle occurred. God healed this man who jumped up and down, was so excited about his liberty and being able to walk now. And they got arrested. And that's where the story starts. Uh, As they were preaching in the temple, the uh, guards came up and arrested them. And they were greatly disturbed, verse 2 says, that they were teaching the people and preaching in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they laid hands on them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So Peter and John have taken the opportunity. They saw a moment and a chance to preach, and they have gone to preaching in in the other group's temple. You know, it was their temple too, but it was under the control of a clergy that had turned it into a big money-making venture, and they were opposed to the rule of God and opposed to the Son of God. And Peter dares to stand up as a rabbi without a diploma, without their approval. He stands in their pulpit area And he addresses thousands of people. And they listened to him because they just saw him do this amazing miracle that God did through his hands. And although they were arrested, the scripture tells us you can't arrest the word of God. It continues to work in the lives of people. Verses 5 through 6 talk about the Jewish leaders and the corrupt priestly family of Annas. And they were the ones who had set up the business of selling livestock in the temple, and they had a special temple uh, coinage, so they had a foreign exchange deal going where you couldn't pay your tithes in normal money. You had to buy special temple money that they minted and controlled the uh, exchange rate of. So these guys had just come up with all kinds of ways to make money out of people's sincere desire to come and worship God. Verse 7, they ask this question. They never even deny the miracle. This is how spiritually blind these guys are. They can say, okay, okay, there was a miracle, we can't deny it. But what we want to know is, verse 7, by what power or what name have you done this? In other words, who authorized you? You who, Who has written a paper to authorize you to do miracles and to preach here in the temple? And verse 8 begins, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. This is a beautiful season. We can see now that Peter has his own relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
you know, before he, he just seemed to be riding on Jesus' relationship with God. And maybe that was true his whole life. And he came to the end of himself when he denied Christ and found that he really didn't have any spiritual depth to himself. He was just riding along, uh, following Jesus and, and using you know, like Jesus as his buffer. It was Jesus' own relationship with God. But now Jesus has ascended to heaven, left Peter in charge, and Peter has received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and he has his own relationship with the Holy Spirit. And this is really important. You know, you can't, there's no secondhand faith. And if we're going to be used by God to impact our generation, it means that we will need to have our own relationship with God and that we listen to the Holy Spirit and that we allow the Holy Spirit to take us to places in worship where we get into the presence of the Lord and we allow the Holy Spirit to cause us to be honest about what's going on inside of us and to evaluate ourselves rightly and to be led by the Spirit when we go out into the world that the Holy Spirit can make opportunities and the Holy Spirit can lead us and open doors. And now here Peter finds himself facing the same men who killed Jesus, the men who lead the religion for the entire nation. They are backslidden. They are hard-hearted. They are not listening to God, and the Lord is going to use Peter as a prophet in front of them. Our interactions and our response to the Holy Spirit are dynamic, and they reflect whatever is needed in every situation, you know, what God needs to advance the kingdom of God through the gospel about Jesus. So Peter opens his mouth, and he begins to speak to them. In verse 9, he shows them their bankruptcy as judges. He says, uh, effectively, now let me get this right. We're on trial for doing a good deed to a helpless man. That's that's what you're concerned about. We have have prayed for a man, and he's been crippled for 40 years. He was helpless, and he's been healed, and, and we're in trouble for that, right? Well, let it be known, verse 10, you want to know about my authority? Let everybody in Israel know. We have done this by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he looks at them, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him this man stands here before you whole. The man that was healed is standing right there. Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you builders, and he has become the chief cornerstone, verse 12, really important, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. The covering of the Holy Spirit has come down on Peter, and he is no longer afraid. These are the same men that were beating Jesus and spitting in his face, and Peter was watching it from the courtyard just six weeks ago. And he was so filled with fear when he saw what they were doing to Jesus that he betrayed the Lord and and denied that he even knew him. And now he's looking into the same eyes and he is filled with boldness. You know, there's a thing that comes on you when the Holy Spirit anoints you and you become the the vessel of God, the instrument of God. There's like this burning that goes on inside of you. It's It's a stillness. It's like the whole room 
just gets real silent and in slow motion. And you are zoned in. You are looking in their eyes. The Word of God is coming out of you and going into them. Sometimes there may be a quivering in the, in the, you know, the top of your chest there, like a little bit of a nervousness. It's not a fear. It's just emotion as the Holy Spirit is rolling through you. And, and the Holy Spirit thunders out of Peter like the prophet Amos. He might have run from persecution before, but now he has his own anointing of the Holy Spirit, and he's walking in it. He is totally convinced about two things at this point. Peter is convinced about the power of God's Word, that if he can deliver the Word of God, that the Word of God has power to accomplish whatever is said. Once it comes out of your lips, an anointed Word of God, that it will go on its journey and it will accomplish what it needs to do. He is especially, secondly, convinced about the power of the gospel to change a man's eternal destiny. Verse 12, one more time, Peter stands firmly on top of the stumbling block of Jesus Christ, and he says, there is no other name. There is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. This doctrine is the core of the gospel. And you and I need to make absolutely certain that we believe it. Because that is the doctrine that the world is going to attack. They want to say there has to be another way. There can't be only one way. There have to be other opportunities for people except for coming through Jesus. They do not want to accept the words of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father. No man except through me. Peter was there. He heard Jesus say that. He saw him die on the cross. He watched the earth soak up every drop of his blood. He saw his dead, lifeless corpse on the cross, and then he saw him for six weeks, ate food with him, was able to touch those wounds, saw him walk through walls, and yet he was physical. They could talk to him. They shared meals together. Peter had six weeks to get over all doubt about Jesus, and he is absolutely certain. If we yield on this doctrine, we lose it all, because this is the core of the gospel. Let me give you some examples. If there was a cure for cancer, I mean the real 100% cure for, for lung cancer, let's say, shall we, in fairness to aspirin and to herbal cures, sincerely applied, decide to say, just out of politeness, that, okay, actually all of these remedies cure cancer? I mean, it either heals it or it doesn't. And if you have cancer, what you need is the truth about what works. Another illustration. If, if the destination city that you are seeking, the place that you have to get to, is difficult to find, and it can be reached only by one narrow trail, shall we, in fairness to all the roads, sincerely built and at great expense by the world's best road builders, just agree to say, okay, I, 
we can say all roads would lead to that city, even when we know all roads never lead to any one place. If there was any other way to break the curse of sin, wash away the guilt of sinners, and reveal the loving heart of our Creator, do you not think that God would have used it and avoided bankrupting heaven, slaughtering His own Son, and, what amazes me, binding His Son to the Incarnation forever? Imagine God becomes a dog. I mean, I don't know how big the gap is between God and man, but I'm pretty sure it is a lot wider than the gap between a man and a dog. And so God has now come down to be man forever. And if there was any other way of salvation, I guarantee you, the Word of God would have pointed us to that way of salvation so that we could go and find it. If God could have avoided breaking His own heart and going through all that He went through on the cross, to reveal His love and His justice, His mercy and His righteousness, and to redeem us and buy us back from our sin and selfishness if there was any other way. He would have done that. He would have pointed us to us. He brought salvation to us because no means could be devised whereby we could save ourselves. And this irritates the world. It irritates the world that God will not acknowledge man's religious system of self-salvation. But we need to firm up, firm up our grip, beloved, on that one truth because you and I will see this thing attacked by an unbelieving world every day. You're going to see it attacked in the media. You'll see it attacked by the government. This is the basis of persecution. This claim, the same thing that alarmed these priests. We can't believe you're preaching in Jesus. You're, that you're tying all this miracle to Jesus, that you're making Jesus the only way, that is going to be attacked. That is the spirit of Antichrist that stands behind the gospel. And you and I are going to have to defend our mind against being persuaded to let go of this one little belief. Because in this age, we want to be God. We want to be God of our own self-centered life. We want to do whatever we want without being judged, without being restrained by God. And Peter has a very clear word. There is no other name. There is salvation in no other name than in the name of Jesus. The gospel simply is that we could not save ourselves through any human means, and we have tried everything from good works to meditation to sacrificing children in the fire before idols. Salvation is beyond our grasp. So God has come to us and brought salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Peter completely believed this. And it was his ground of confidence. And it was the source of the miracles that were worked through his hands. In verse 13, the boldness of Peter made the priest marvel. He had not been to a rabbinical school. He was a layman, not a professional. He had never been trained to speak in public. Verse 13 says, mm, they realized that these two men had been with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus, my friend. You will gain the power of impact. 
you'll gain the power of fearlessness. You don't need what the world can give you in terms of uh, training and education for a lot of things that involve life-changing ministry. You start mixing a lot of human gimmicks with it, and you're, you're mixing flesh with spirit. There's all kinds of things that the church has picked up from the world, and we've decided it would maybe make our presentation a little bit better you know, if we just added some of these gimmicks, it'd be you know, more powerful, more believable. Well, if what turns their heart is our smoke machine and strobe lights, they're not getting saved anyway, I can tell you that. If their heart turns toward salvation, it means the Holy Spirit has to be involved in it. And our presentation has to be something that we do being used by the Holy Spirit under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We're not trying to make church members. We're trying to make disciples, people who come to the cross and bow their knee and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Well, in verses 14 through 18, all they can do is threaten them. Verse 14 said, the man was standing right there with them. They couldn't say anything about the healing, so they just threatened them a lot. And Peter responds with more boldness, verse 20 when they threaten him and say, don't anymore, verse 18, do not speak and teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter answers in verse 19, well, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. We cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard. You know, Jesus outranks you. That's what he's telling them. God outranks you. You're not our authority anymore. And all they can do is threaten one more time. And uh, it's beautiful to see what happens after this. As soon as they release them, Peter and John and who knows, maybe this man, because he was there with them and now he's a disciple too. They ran to the gathering. They knew where Christians would be. They knew where the secret places were, the quiet places, the homes that the believers gathered in. They ran to that place They found them gathered there, concerned about them, praying for them, and they told them the story of what had just happened. And once again, they prayed. But I want you to notice what they prayed for. And this is a real difference. When I deal with persecution countries, I'm I'm almost uh, embarrassed to talk about persecution because I've experienced so little of it myself. And I, I get in the presence often of brothers and sisters in Asia who have, who have suffered greatly. Some of them spent, uh, I know a man that spent half his life in, in prisons. He's mi- he missed his children growing up, and they're not all that close to this day uh, because of the cost that he paid uh, under persecution. And so, you know, you, you meet these people, and when we hear about someone being arrested in the West, we, we begin to pray for them too. And, and our prayer is generally that it will go away. You know, oh, God, release them from captivity. Don't let them do anything bad to him. You know, make the pain stop, because that's, that's mainly what our prayer life is about. You know, God, make bad things go away from me. Notice that people who live under persecution don't usually pray the same prayer. They did not pray for safety. They did not ask that it would go away. Verse 29, they prayed for more boldness. They prayed that they wouldn't become 
cowardly. They prayed that they would not yield, but that they could be strong enough to take it, no matter what it was, because they understood as change agents, we disturb people. And if you back off, the people will not change. You have to disturb them. You have to cause them to question if they are wrong because we think we're right about God. We think we know what we know until someone can challenge us and all it takes is that little crack in our mind that says, what if we're wrong about God? What if I'm wrong? You know, Paul is going to blindly persecute the church until suddenly there's this little crack in his mind and it's, he starts to think, you know, to think as Jesus speaks to him and Paul's going, oh no, I've had it wrong all this time. But, you know, there's that moment where the mind has to open and it can only open if someone is courageous enough to challenge you and push. And you're going to push back. I mean, uh, established uh, governments and cultures do not like this. No one wants to be uh, provoked to change or to be told that they're wrong. And so you push back and you fight back. And then to have the witness take your whatever you do to them and say, I will give my testimony at the cost of my life. You will see how much I know that this is true, how much I am certain of what I believe, and you need to believe it too, and I will take whatever comes my way, but I will not yield on this. This is the truth of the gospel. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for boldness to continue the confrontation. Fearless boldness. And then they prayed for healings, signs, and wonders, things that are not just human courage. You know, they needed some signs out of heaven that when people saw those miracles, they would have to acknowledge that the supernatural was involved and that God was behind these people. He was endorsing what they said. And verse 31 says, when they prayed that prayer, the place where they assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. May the Lord make you bold and make me bold and increase our courage and our determination to be a good witness to a godless age and an antichrist age and to still speak clearly and to understand what we believe and to believe it and, and tie ourselves to that to the mast of the ship and say, this is my belief. I, I will die believing this. And, you know, as the world continues on and we get into darker and darker times ahead, we're going to see persecution arising, legal restrictions against saying certain things. Already Europe has many laws that violate free speech that will not allow Christian to make certain statements. You cannot call certain things sin. You cannot speak against certain lifestyles. They call them hate crimes if you do that. It's, and it's not going to stop at that. It will continue on uh, as we approach and the, and the dark powers uh, become stronger and stronger and more blatant in their fight against the Lord. We need to strengthen ourselves while we have this time of peace so that we can prepare ourselves for days that are to come. We'll follow the example of the early church. If you'd like to talk to me, I would love to hear from you. Just email me directly, chuck at quinley.com. 
And if you enjoy the Thread Podcast, please pass the word on to a friend. Send the link over to them. You can find it in so many different places. We're on the iTunes Store. We're in the Android Marketplace. There's even an app for the Thread Podcast. You can go to threadpodcast.com. You can go to quinley.com. It's easy to find the podcast. Uh, A lot of work goes into it. So if you would help us to share it and let the audience grow, more and more people can hear the Word of God expounded verse by verse. That's all for now. See you next time on Thread.